Should I take college credits in high school? Is that the same thing as taking AP tests? Will either help me finish college more quickly? And is that even something I should want? This week on College for Christians, we explore the increasingly permeable boundary between high school and college. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Chris Garrett, history professor at Bethel University, joined by Sam Mulberry, academic support specialist at Bethel University. <laughs> so, Sam, to some extent, I feel like most of what we've said in the first half a half dozen episodes of College for Christians could have been recorded 20 or 30 years ago. Um, for a long time, there's been a lot of different ways of doing higher ed in this country, a lot of different ways Christians approach it. Um, I think questions about fit and cost have become more pressing in more recent years, but it's not like they're new questions. But today we're asking a question whose answer seems to be changing like literally as we speak how should we think about the relationship between high school and college just to prove this i had a meeting this morning that changed the way that i think about this oh man (laughs) so this will be dated very quickly but we'll give it a shot because it is it's a very interesting field we are on the cutting edge of something and uh actually in many ways like parents you've been living this in ways we are just kind of experiencing the effects of but as always let us know your questions and comments you can reach us at channel 3900 at gmail.com if we have not read your question your comments on air it's partly because i think we're saving up kind of a mailbag episode for a later in so rest assured we will get back to it if it doesn't quite fit one of our scheduled topics we'll get to it later on okay sam you want a little history about this oh yeah i do i I can tell you you are desperate for some history so the main thing to know here is that high school as we know it is a kind of recent invention like there have been secondary schools for as long as there have been european settlers in america right but the high school as we know it is really kind of the early 20th century And it didn't catch on right away. 1910, something like 10% of Americans graduated from high school. And even by World War II, it's still less than 50%. It's it's really around the middle of the 20th century that it kind of takes off and becomes the um, kind of um, sort of standard educational outcome. If you don't go to college, at least finish high school. Um, But it's not until the late 1960s, the median American adult has at least 12 years of education. And for persons of color, it's later than that. Uh, So it's only recently that it's become a common expectation that you will graduate high school and then go on to college. But the key is that they are separate systems, right? They evolve separately for different reasons. They were connected at the point of admissions, but they've always been separate entities in the way that they're funded, the way they're organized, the structures. And maybe most importantly for our sake, uh, different ways of thinking about what teaching is and who gets to teach and a definite sense that they're serving developmentally distinct student populations. And kind of flip side is like, I think those of us in college assume something significant is happening around age 18, right? Like right. That, absolutely. That seems to be a rather significant assumption built into the way that we traditionally approach high school going to college. Um, but I should point out, this has not always been the case. The oldest high school or secondary school in America was founded in 1635. It was a Latin school in Boston, and it was meant expressly to send people to Harvard. Uh, St. Louis University is a Jesuit school of Missouri. It started as a high school, spun off a college, and to this day, there's still a St. Louis University high school. For that matter, we're sitting at Bethel University, which started really in its modern history as an academy tied to a seminary and then only later became a college so there's a kind of older model sam where like you went to a certain high school because it then prepared you to go to a certain college but that's gone away and you know certainly in our childhood these were very separate things 
I mean, I, I did a little bit of the kind of college work we'll talk about later on, but that was fairly exceptional. I would guess most of the people I went to college with had no college credits by the time they started, right? Did I forget, did you do anything before you got? No, actually I didn't. And I remember distinctly being a, a freshman and being amazed by people who brought in eight credits. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a student t- a year young, a year younger than me who was the first person I know who brought in like close to 30 credits and he was from the uh, from the East Coast and I remember we were all just kind of amazed. He was a brilliant guy yeah. but we were amazed like how could you have and, and, and it was all through through uh, AP tests and stuff but yeah. but it just like my high school offered one AP course. Right and so it, it's become rather ordinary and this is really starting the late 20th century or you know, if you want to think about in some ways community colleges in the 60s and 70s often grow out of high schools or are housed there but in, in terms of the four year ed that we're talking about I mean, it, it's really the lines start to blur in the late 20th century and now they're really seeming to erase. I mean mm. it's getting to the point where some of what we do is actually taught directly in high schools and we're certainly you know, as long as I've been here, but increasingly we're working with high school students, mm-hmm. even though we're at a college. Um, and so in some ways, uh, grades 12, even 11, and maybe even grade 10 are starting to become something that we increasingly call early college. And so if you've heard that phrase and what or what it means, or if you're wondering how you can do this for your child, what we're going to do is talk through kind of three buckets of sort of sources of early college credits, um, uh, ways you can get credit for college even while you are in high school as a 12th, maybe 11th or younger um, grade. So why don't we work through this, uh, Sam, I'll kind of describe them, give a little, give a little bit of history, and then you can maybe talk through pros and cons. Sure, absolutely. To help, uh, help parents and students think through them. So the oldest one is what's called credit by exam. So the most famous in the United States is, Sam mentioned, AP, Advanced Placement. This starts after World War II with ETS and then what's now known as the College Board. So a standardized test. Uh, there's also something called IB, International Baccalaureate, that some high schools around here have. Um, it's founded, I think, in Europe in the 60s and 70s and really reaches the U.S. more 90s, 2000s or so, but not as popular as AP. So the key theme for, for this and for other kinds of credit by exam, there are others, you take high school classes from high school teachers and you only get the college credit if you score a high enough score on a standardized exam that a college recognizes it for credit. So the key is that these are high school classes. It's the test that yields college credit. And even there, it might not yield college credit. Right. right? Well, and I, what, what's nice about AP is that it is standardized. So... Um, Pretty much any school can tell. You could probably, without talking to the school, know how AP credits are going to come into a school because um, it's not like you're transferring a course from some other school and they need to evaluate the course and look at the syllabus. Like they're very standard. So in some ways, that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you should just be able to Google I mean, AP equivalent or AP chart yes. or whatever college you're interested yeah. in. So the, the the class you take might differ. I mean, mm-hmm. if you took an AP course in this, uh, you know, AP. world history in this high school or this high school, the class you take might be different, but the test you take is the same. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the downside of this is that it's highly dependent on one 
exam. Mm-hmm. And not all students are great are great mm-hmm. test takers. And you know, Chris, as a as a college teacher, mm-hmm. how good of a course is a course that uh, relies on one exam that students take at the end to determine their grade? Man, like in other models of higher education, this is how it's done. It's not how we approach higher education. Like we're intentionally building in sorts of different kinds of assessment along the way, and we're scaffolding and all the rest. Yeah. Yeah. So so it is. It's it's you know, and some students, I I, I assume I'm going to make an assumption about you and I'm something mm-hmm. I know about myself. You and I in high school were very good test takers. Pretty like good. this would have probably been great for us. Yep. But I know lots of other brilliant people for whom a high stakes test is d- does not reflect mm-hmm. their abilities, does not reflect what they learn. So I would say students who are approaching this AP as a way to think about earning college credit, that's something to think about is like how do you tend to perform on those types of things? Now, I will say... Um, Because I don't care just about credit. I care about education. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, taking an AP class, Mm -hmm. even if you don't do well on the test, in a lot of high schools, you're getting the best teacher in that field teaching the AP. So just sheerly for the education, taking the AP class, even if you're not worried about the test. But you're really still helpful. fulfilling a high school graduation exactly. requirement exactly. Right? through the class, which, again, is taught in high school. And yeah. I, I keep hitting this because we're about to get to options that are taught in, in different ways by college instructors. Yes. Right. And that's that's not an unmeaningful distinction. I would point point out one other uh, com- relatively common t- uh credit by examination and that's CLEP Um, so uh, the only CLEP that I ever see here at Bethel is languages that's all I know Um, but I think I mean that's again you're taking a test which is earning you uh, if if showing the proficiency to earn you credit for language although there are CLEP tests for lots of other things Mm -hmm. I've never seen somebody CLEP something other than a language here at least right and I think uh, I think the armed services have their own kind of testing so so, like there are others out there we're just talking about some of the most famous so that's one set of credits now um, after we've kind of gone through these three types we'll We'll talk more broadly about how do you think about this, whether you should do this or not. We're, we're just telling you how it works and how they're different. So that, that's that's uh, credit by exam. Now we come to something that we'll call, given how it's described in Minnesota, early enrollment. And I think other states have versions of this. Some do not. I just heard our provost give a talk. We're coming from Illinois. She was astonished to find out that since the 1980s, Minnesota high school students have had the option to take college courses at state expense. So the post-secondary um, enrollment option? Yes. P- or PSEO or PSEO, we call it. So the initial idea, I look back at a report from the 90s on this, like at the 10-year mark they did an audit. And the initial idea was partly to serve um, mostly 12th, maybe some 11th grade students who just were not being challenged, right? Related to the growth of gifted and talented programs, right? Um, And maybe like an AP exam was not an option, right? But maybe you actually felt ready for college learning. The state wanted to make that available to a wider part of the population. And because the state paid, it wasn't limited by your income or your social class or something. Um, And then also to create kind of competition for high schools to get them to amp up their game, which maybe is one reason they started to offer AP um, classes. So you could have more accelerated uh, kinds of not just math and science, but literature and language and history and, and other kinds of fields. So that was the original idea. Now, it's become so much more popular, I think it's lost some of the initial sense of these tend to be very academically proficient, high-achieving students. But it's interesting, even 10 years in, the state found that the main reason parents did it was to save money. Like, that didn't take long at all for parents to discover, hey, you can get a head start on college. And these are usually courses that are taught by college professors on a college campus, and the students either come there temporarily during the day as commuter students, or sometimes even live as college students, even though they're also seniors in high school. 
So that's that's early enrollment. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, the, the, the big advantage of this, and you just touched on this, is that this isn't college-equivalent classes. These are college classes, college professors, usually in the college classrooms. Um, so it's not – what's important about that is it's not based merely on a test at yep. the end. So you're getting – kind of all you're getting the entire college experience this really is you know if we're thinking about early college this is really the 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 closest thing to really saying i am just starting college early now some things to be aware of doing this and uh, what's funny is i was thinking about pros and cons and these can either be pros or cons mm-hmm. um one of the things that's going to happen if you're taking a uh, a course courses like this is you're going to be going through a developmental transition Mm -hmm. um, because you are surrounded by other students in that class who are, um, you know, 18, 19, 20, 22-year-olds perhaps. So uh, your brain and your, your emotional and intellectual maturity is changing so much between 16 and 24 mm-hmm. <laughs> that like, like I remember um, and anybody who went to college, I think can probably have this memory. Like I remember when I was a sophomore in college, I took a lot of classes that had both sophomores and juniors. And I remember I couldn't describe it, but a college junior seems so much older than me as a college sophomore. And I realized when I became a junior, I looked at the sophomores and I'm like, yeah, they see like they're like that one year at that time means so much. So, so you're going to be going through a developmental transition, but that's not bad. You're going to be going through that anyhow. If yep. you go to college, it's yep. just knowing you're doing that earlier. So it's something to be aware of. But I, just to underscore one thing, I think it's really important that at least in our experience, maybe this varies, <clears throat> but at least traditionally you, you are in a mixed population. Yes. Right? It's not like there are just um, early enrollment only sections. You were probably in there with yes. college students who are one, two, three, maybe four years older than you. Yeah. And we'll get to those early enro- enrollment because yeah. I think that that's another yeah. thing to think about. The other thing is you are also transitioning to college level expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, being a, a high school student, it's it is just different. And 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 we'll we'll maybe hit some of these mm-hmm. things more as we think about whether to do this or not or when to do this. Um, but I mean, I think about the the workload expectations, the amount of work you're doing outside of class is so distinctly different. The amount of the the you spend far much less far less time in class, mm-hmm. but there is more work to do. And I think, um, again, it's not a bad thing, but it, you need to go into it with your eyes open. Because I will say, working in academic support, this is one of the big issues that we see when we're looking at early college students is they're sometimes just not aware, and they miss that at the orientation point. I mean, it comes up in mm-hmm. orientation, but you're often not listening to those things in orientation, but that becomes that becomes a big piece of it. So I would say one other thing about this, and then we can talk about uh, one other piece mm-hmm. attached to this, is, is that there is a big value if you're looking at doing early college like this to do it at the school you hope to mm-hmm. enroll in. Now, yep. that may not be possible. Let's say you're in Minnesota and you, you're hoping to go to William & Mary. Yep. You can't use PSEO to go to William & Mary, so you go somewhere else. But if you know that you can start early at the college you want to attend, that has so many built-in um, uh, advantages, right? You're, you're, you jump right into the curriculum, mm-hmm. so you're taking courses which are – not even one to ones for for the curriculum. It, it just it's is the, the curriculum. curriculum. Yeah. So if you if if you're looking at this as a way to accelerate your time to graduation, that is 
probably the fastest route is to do uh, to do early college at the school you intend to. Right, because otherwise you're starting to get into, I mean, we should probably do an episode just on transferring, yes. but you run into the same kind of problems you normally would have moving from one college to another. Yes. No, I would say one thing, and I'm, I, I'm listen to me carefully, I'm not saying beware of, I'm saying be aware mm-hmm. of courses which are built exclusively for early enrollment students. Those can be great, mm-hmm. and they're going to carry college credit. They're coming from the college. But you're, what you're not going to get is that sort of mixed population. And you're often – the two things I said are, you know, the the um, the developmental transition and the college-level expectations, those things are sometimes muted mm-hmm. or you're in a weird – or not a weird – you're in a transition stage between that – within that transition, a liminal state between that those, those two points. So – um, be aware of that because when you move then to regular college courses, you have another transition potentially to make. And I think sometimes I see students get tripped up there. So, well, I've done college courses. It's like, yes, but I look at the college courses you've done and they're not the same level of rigor or expectations or developmental expectations. So I would say there, those things can be really good and positive, but know that they're not the same. And I would say especially here, one twist that's shown up in the last, I guess, 10 years is increasingly colleges might be tempted to offer these as online-only options, right? which certainly has the benefit of convenience, right? Um, I, mean, I would be careful then about this was all set up to promote, you know, more intensive, advanced learning experience. And is that actually what you're getting? Like, in a sense, you're not paying for it, right? It's, it's funded by the state. But I would probably ask the college who's doing this, like, um, maybe what percentage of students who do the early enrollment option actually matriculate to that college as opposed to just get a whole bunch of kind of like very low-level credits in order to go somewhere else? How well are they actually being prepared for college through that kind of experience? And then there's one other twist that I think is this is really the cutting edge, or at least as we've experienced, which is taking early enrollment college courses at a high school. So let's let's move on to number three. We'll call this dual enrollment. So the new front in this uh, border between high school and college is that you are both a high school and a college student at once taking college courses in your high school. Uh, so usually from college instructors of a sort, and we should talk about what that actually means. Um, and you're moving simultaneously toward high school graduation and college credit, and you may even have a kind of uh, program of courses that lead to a two-year degree, what's called an associate's degree, which you can then take and you can complete a four-year degree at most institutions. Um, this has been around for a while, again, at least in Minnesota. The University of Minnesota, maybe even when we were in high school, but certainly in the last 20 years, has had something called college in the schools. Other colleges have participated in this where they send instructors to high schools. But now like, this is a strategic initiative in both directions, right? It's it's something high schools can advertise. There's a Christian private school near our house that out front says 90 college credits taught on campus by college faculty, right? Like that's partly what draws people to that school. And then for colleges, this is, you know, I think most of them view it as a pipeline, right? You got those high school students who already are 10, 20, 30, 60 credits into their education. Why not complete it at that college? So you understand the high school and college have other interests in this, which are different from the individual student or families. Yeah. So I would say the thing about these, uh, and this, this echoes what we just said about courses built, college courses built specifically for early college. Um, so you're, they're, they're built for high school students to earn college credits. Um, but so it has all those same pros and cons of sort of developmentally. Now, one of the pros of this is that, and, I, and this is a question we'll, we'll get to later, is 
when you're thinking about your early college time, are you thinking about this as I am beginning college early or this is how I am completing high school? Because mm-hmm. if you really want to maintain your identity in your high school, especially if you're, say, a student athlete mm-hmm. or you're part of clubs or organizations or things like that, this is a really helpful way to earn credits Um but still really find your identity located in your high school. Cause I think that's also a tension as we're, as we're thinking about this. Now, one of the things to again, be aware of is that your credits are coming from multiple institutions. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, if we were to go up to Cambridge, Minnesota, about 45 minutes North of here, if you went to Cambridge, I high school, you could take a Bethel college in the schools chemistry course. Mm-hmm. You could also take Anoka Ramsey Community College courses while you're there. Mm-hmm. If you were then applying to the University of Minnesota, you would you need to remember to send your high school transcript, your Anoka Ramsey transcript, and your Bethel transcript in order for all those credits to show up there. So um, I, I, I work with a lot of students who aren't tracking. They're saying, yeah, I took a course for college credit, and I'll have to talk with them about, well, but what school did it come from? Because you have to track that stuff down. So um, that's not a negative, but it is something to be aware of that, that, that even though you're taking Taking it in your high school, those credits are being granted from somewhere else. So, so keep a good accounting of where you're where you're earning credits from. Um, you know, I think there's also when, and this I think is true for either early enrollment, uh, but especially dual enrollment, because either of those you can be fulfilling your final high school requirements. I think it's important to assess your readiness as a student for college work, because here's the difference between AP and dual enrollment or early enrollment. If you take an AP course and do terribly on the AP test, you can still pass that course and get a good grade. If you're doing uh, early enrollment or dual enrollment and you're taking a college-level course that has the rigor and challenge of a college-level course and you're taking it to also fulfill a high school requirement, if that is too much of a challenge for you and you don't pass that course, you don't earn the credit not only for college, but for high school. Um, and and, and I, I, this is not just the theoretical. We run into this working with early college students sometimes. So it's really crucial that you're not just thinking, sure, I'm going to do all this to get all the credits I can. Like assess your readiness for this. Um, talk to high school guidance counselors. Mm-hmm. Talk to other students who are older who've mm-hmm. taken the course to, to get a realistic picture of what it looks like. Because that's you don't want to end up trying to take early college courses and not graduating from high school and doing it. Well, this then leads into maybe some just broad questions we would suggest parents and students ask as they consider these various options of getting college credit while in high school. And I guess the first one here is you call it a readiness, and we could think about preparedness. Like, are are you actually ready for college learning? And and it is, this is why it is a big important difference between AP and these college taught courses, right? I remember, Sam, you came into a first-year course that we teach that's kind of an introduction to college learning. Mm -hmm. And I ask you just to, in the first week, give kind of advice as someone who works with academic success and advising and tutoring. And remember, one of the things you said is to think about the number of hours in a week and how they're distributed. And in high school, uh, I think you said something like, well, it's probably about 28 hours in class, 12 hours outside, and then you flip those your first semester in college, right? Are you ready for the expectation that you'll only be in class for you know, a couple hours each week in each class, but then outside of class, you'll be working for two to three times that amount of time? Which well, is at least the typical Bethel expectation. And let me rephrase that. You'll be responsible for completing about 28 hours of yeah. work, which means, and this is where we talk about some of this developmental transition and is like the ability to manage 
unstructured time well you know and that's something i know lots of you know 40 year olds who struggle with this too but but like that is something you're going to be stepping into so the hours per week you're spending outside of class the fact that there is homework that there is significant work done that doesn't happen in class i have high schoolers right now and i know uh, for my son a lot of the work he does he completes in class and i also know when he gets to college that's going away but you know, is the student prepared for that? Are they aware of that? Uh, just the general kind of rigor of of a course, even things like exams. Um, in high school, if I take an exam and don't do well, I will likely get an email from the teacher about scheduling a retake of that exam. Chris, you've taught for 20 years. How many retakes have you given? Uh, I can't think of any. Somewhere around zero, right? Like, like it's zero. like, it's like that, you know, so, and, and, and we'll see that when a student mm-hmm. comes in and says like, well, can I, when can I retake this? And you say, well, you can't, let's look, let's look forward. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, this points to. I'm trying to find that maybe you can articulate this idea. I'll say it and you can articulate it better. The, in high school, it is a shared responsibility between the student and the school to see to it that that student graduates. Mm-hmm. In college, as a, as a college instructor, my responsibility is to give you access and opportunity to information, to the field, mm-hmm. and, and an opportunity to earn this credit. Yep. I am not under any expectation to make sure you earn the credit. No. And and that sounds cruel, like like it sounds crueler somehow, but like that is just kind of how that is. Right? It is. And like, understand, you just heard that from someone who works very closely with students to help them do the best they can. But at the end of the day, it is entirely on the student then yes. to take responsibility for that result. And that I think is an enormous shift and it's appropriate. And it's why I do think there is a developmental change here. I mean, partly what you're doing, it's not just early college, it's early adulthood, right? And that's not what you should expect from a high school student in the same respect, right? But by the time you come to college it partly it's in order to be challenged with how do you use your freedom well and manage your time well and take responsibility for your own learning and what lies on the other side of it um okay number two how does this all fit with your college plans and here i i know we've got several specific items to tick off here um Sam, do all transfer credits make a meaningful difference towards graduating from college? No. You know, and this is where I think it's my – and I will say, as I'm listening to us, we sound like we're negative on early college. Yeah. And and we may have a little bit of bias in that direction as college teachers saying, why would you not come and take your your, your credits here? But we understand that. So I want to give you a, a, the best piece – one of the best pieces of advice I can to do early college well, which is – Try as best you can to think about the school or schools you would like to attend and reach out to them as you're beginning to register for early college before you start taking these things. Because what you want to do is work with them to find out what are the things that are going to be of value and what are things that are going to functionally be empty credits. Um, There are there are uh, I'll give a Bethel example. Um, Lots of high school students take AP human geography mm-hmm. it is a wonderful course my yep. daughter took ap human geo she loved it that course transfers into bethel as three credits yep. like it just it, it does it doesn't mm-hmm. fulfill a requirement i'm not saying you shouldn't take it but you should go in with your eyes open knowing well do i want to put my energy into that mm-hmm. or do i want to put my energy into a, if i wanted to attend bethel into a course that may actually fulfill a requirement here now here's the nice thing is those colleges that you're thinking about going to they want more than anything to get you to come. Right. So they are incentivized to work with you, not to blow you off and say, why would we have, like, you're not even here for two years. Why would we help you? They want to help you because they want 
to sh- they want to build that bridge to you coming here. Um, and, and I think sometimes students and parents think about it in terms of, well, what colleges will I get into? It's like a lot of colleges that you're interested in want you to come yep. leverage that. Yep. And it's, I think, become easier to figure this out. Like, I mean, part of me, I listen to this and think, this is so confusing. And why, why won't my credits count for something? And so I want to, like, hearken everyone back to where we started, which is, well, in some ways, colleges and universities have become more similar to each other. They're all actually very distinct. They all came out of certain circumstances with different kinds of missions and different philosophies and different outcomes. And they understandably hold to that, right? This is not actually cookie cutter, right? It's it's in that way. I think that is a big difference from high school. Um, and so Bethel has a certain way of doing this. And our private college peers have similar but different ways of thinking about what a graduate should look like. And that's different from the University of Minnesota. And so you can't just assume because you've taken it and it says college credit, it will work for all of these, right? Um, Sometimes it's something beyond the college itself. The reason that human geography doesn't come in is that if you want to be a social studies teacher in the state of Minnesota, you need both human and physical geography. So we've created a single course to serve that need. But if you've only taken human geography, you're not ready to teach social studies in the state of Minnesota. It's like there are always reasons and sometimes they're hard to see. What's easier is because schools have an interest in driving enrollment toward them, they have tried to figure out ways to make this more transparent. And sometimes it's as easy as like as part of like the whatever the website is for uh, prospective students, like they'll even be like a button or a page that will say, okay, enter this course, here's what it'll come in as. Sometimes you have to like go to Google and search like transfer equivalency or something. But I guarantee you, if it's a college you want to think about attending, they will try to find a way to let you know, here's what this is going to do. I think the other thing to pay attention to is major. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, if I'm going to be majoring in biology, um, I would want to know if I take this AP bio course or AP chemistry uh, what is that going to come in as? Or if I want to be an engineer and I take AP physics, is that... actually take ac- the test. Yes, and I take the test. Is that actually going to help me or not? Now, again, the education you get would <laughs> be very helpful, so that's a great reason to do it. Mm-hmm. But if, you're, if your goal is, I want to try to lop a semester or year off of college I'm going to have to pay for, mm-hmm. that's when you want to be really specific and, and sort of careful about these things. Another piece, which I'm not going to get into because we could spend an hour and it would be the most confusing thing in the world. I just wanted you to know that bringing in a whole slew of what I would call empty credits, mm-hmm. things that don't have a one-to-one transfer, don't fulfill a requirement – have the potential to eat up your elective credit options, which can have financial aid ramifications. And I will leave it at that. There's something called course program study, which is very confusing, even to people who've done this forever. So like, just know that like racking up credits may or may not have advantages. Um, so, so like I would be, I would be leery of, of that, um, you know, or just, I would, I would at least be aware of that. Um, I'll just reiterate one thing you said, Sam, which is if you are playing a major in something, do not be completing too many of those requirements through AP. Like my son loves history. I have no doubt he will want to major in history and he will want to take AP US history. And I will do my best to get him not to take that test. Cause if he comes to Bethel, I want him to take that class with Anne-Marie Koistra, mm-hmm. right? And he won't be able to take American Civ because he already has the AP credits. Right. And th- that's important. Not just because of, not because it's necessarily a better class, although you know, probably often is, but like it's the relationship you form. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a professor you're going to have multiple times. That's a professor who's going to mentor you, going to write recommendations for you to graduate school or jobs. Like, 
why are you short-circuiting that? That's that's going to be a pivotal part of your college experience. Arguably, that's part of what you pay for. I'm glad you brought up that that stuff that it's when we say relationship, we don't just mean like, oh, you get to know them. But it's like I just spent this weekend writing letters of recommendation for uh, for students that I've worked with. And the more I work with them, the more I have to say and the more that that's going to make that person stand out. So so I would say, yeah, I mean, I actually would would say major courses in general I'd be concerned about. And also also because of the fact that often major courses are prerequisite. So let's say you get AP chemistry and you get out of Gen Chem 1. It's like, so you're going to jump into Gen Chem 2 at your school and everyone else there had Gen Chem 1 at this college, which has built a sequence. And, you know, we'll give you the credit, but does it mask on perfectly? It's been a while since you had it. And then you're going to go into Gen Chem 2 and organic and organic 2. And like you kind of want to have that foundation in that sequence, so you know that that's another thing. That's another thing to be aware of. Speaking of sequences, that's another way. If we were thinking about early college, I said one of the questions you want to think about is: Is this? Are you thinking about this as your first year of college, mm-hmm. or are you thinking about this as your senior year of high school, mm-hmm. where you're taking some college credits? Because depending on your major, it may not shorten your time because you may be looking at a sequential major where you're going to have to take. You can't just be like, "Well, I'm going to take." Gen Chem 1 and organic this semester so I can try to get out early. It's like, well, you can't you can't do that mm-hmm. because of the way prerequisites work. So especially in highly specialized fields, in the sciences especially, like early college may lighten your load, but there's a good chance it won't actually remove a year of college. You know, I think we'll do an episode where we talk more about curriculum. We probably even should define it, but we'll especially talk about like how to pick a major. And you might be sitting there trying to figure out, well, how am I supposed to know these things? Like, This is where you shouldn't probably just talk to an admissions counselor. You should find a department chair or mm-hmm. a professor in a department and, and sit down with them and kind of talk through, hey, I've taken this AP course and I'm thinking about early enrollment. Does that work well with this major? Like, Those are very specific questions. You likely have to talk to faculty, unless it's a really big school where there's like devoted advisors to it. So Sam, I also listened to this. I'm enough of a prospective parent to think, okay, but I need to save money. Mm-hmm. Like you guys just did this whole episode about how expensive college is becoming. And even with the financial aid, that's still gonna mean 20 to $30,000 in debt. Like why should I not try to save money by doing my first year of college in my last year of high school? Like. I mean, are there what what would be the downside? Because I think that that is a real advantage that I cannot naysay. But what are you losing? Maybe it's in that realm of value we talked about. Maybe there are unforeseen consequences. Because essentially, what you're trying to do is shorten your stay in college. Yeah, right? I, I mean, I, I think I think there are some. I, I wish I was a neuroscientist. Like there are some development, like literal physical developmental things in terms of your brain where where fast forwarding is not going to necessarily help you. I think it also creates this mindset of like, what are the things we can get rid of so we can just that, that, that it really feeds into this idea of, I just need to get to the end quickly, which is undercutting the, the purpose, which is, you know, you know, might be career training a little bit or, or hopefully is education, but either way, you know, are you, this is where the developmental part comes in. Are you actually prepared for that thing you're doing? I was talking with one of my TAs today who did PSEO and she was talking about like, she got freaked out when she realized she could be a teacher, a high school teacher 
at age 20. And she said, I don't think I would be ready. And she didn't use the language of it, but she means a 20 year old is probably not developmentally ready to be a teacher for 18 year olds in most settings. Yeah. You know, so, so I think, I think that's, that's definitely, um, that's definitely a piece of it. Um, I also think, uh, there is, I think there is the, the, if we get into the mindset of trying to complete things too quickly, we don't, um, we don't take our time to be open to other possibilities because all of this assumes that I'm on this track, right? Now, does a 16-year-old absolutely know what they want to major in? Well, I'll tell you this. Most people who come to college change their majors. So, you know, then then you almost feel this guilt of, now look what I've wasted because I've I've already been accelerating, accelerating, and now I want to do this other thing. How much? I, I wonder how much harder it is to change your major if you were somebody who did two years of PSEO and felt like I have, I have been on rails before I was ready to make that decision. And do I really have the opportunity to switch that? Right. I mean, I think it's just another version of a theme that's showed up in just about every episode. Like college is meant to change you, right? Mm-hmm. College is set up to derail well-laid plans. Um, and so if you're only giving yourself two years there, right, um, you might be setting up your setting yourself up for problems later on. And I I want to echo what you said about graduating too early for certain professions. Right. And like here's where my sense is people who are more likely to view college as career preparation are maybe also very sensitive to the cost problem, right? And so like it makes sense, maybe you would want to then rush through. The problem is you might not actually be professionally prepared Mm -hmm. at that point. Cognitively, emotionally, um, you have some growing left to do. And do you want to do that as a new teacher dealing with students who are two or three years younger than you? I mean, the flip side of all that is a lot of the classes that you you checked off in that major were high school classes. Does that stuck with you? Are you ready to now teach those same content area things that you just took an AP class in and nothing else? I... I think it's very, it's very difficult. And it's, I hear myself saying this and it just sounds like we're trying to sucker people into spending longer in college to pay more tuition, but we're trying to take care with the lives of people who've been entrusted to us. And we want to balance all these concerns. Like we do not want to be irresponsible with hard, hard earned money. Right. But we also want to be responsible with the years that you have at this moment in your life when you're kind of in between. Right. You are no longer a child. You're no longer an adolescent. You're not quite an adult. And what do you need out of that time? And how much of that time do you actually need? And what's the best way to spend it? So I don't think we have a clear answer to give you at the end of this episode. Mostly, again, we're just trying to help you understand you know, what's already a very complicated system that's changing as we speak. Uh, and maybe this then sends you back to why am I in college in the first place? What am I hoping to get out of this? How do I think about the value of what I'm paying for? How much can I afford? To that end, we'll talk about financial aid next week. But Sam, it's been good for us just to process. We should admit we are in the middle of yes. This. Like we not only see advisees and students with AP credits, we not only have early enrollment students in our classes, but we are actually participating in building out courses to be taught as dual enrollment courses. So yes, understand. Like we we are not doing this as implacable critics of the system. We are just very early into figuring out what it means and trying to decide is this something we can do well as college teachers. Well, and I will tell you chris as we are talking maybe as i'm saying these words i have a daughter who's in an ap class and a son who's in a uh, college in the schools class so it's not i mean i i haven't pushed them either in either of these directions these are their choices but um but yeah like like and i think i think the tricky part is 
the unfortunate reality of some of this stuff is very often some of the best teachers are the ones teaching those courses. And I would encourage you go take classes from great teachers. Yeah. And that might mean you pick up some credits and, you know, but, but I would just say like, you don't have to aggressively go after that. That doesn't need to be your end goal. Yeah. Okay. Well, as always, let us know if you have questions or comments, email us at channel 3900 at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to talk about financial aid with someone who works in financial aid. Talk to you later.